Everybody, welcome to Sonic Talk number three hundred. Hey. Good grief, three hundred! I can't believe it. It's uh, is it really that long? In fact, I have proof of how long it is. Uh, just if I go to uh, this switch over here and I, then I do that, you can see this is actually the show notes for episode one. It's so long ago that the database uh, encoding has changed and all the apostrophes have come out as funny little um, figures. Uh, we talked about, um, but and Dave Spears was uh, was actually a guest. This. On this show. You still haven't managed wow. to get rid of him. I still haven't managed to get rid of him, exactly, and I'm going to switch to him now. Here he is. This is Dave Spears, who's come into the office, stroke studio, stroke yeah. laboratory. That's amazing. To... I went to that gig. That's, that, that, so Sonic Talk 001 was a gig that I went to with the guys from Orbital and Chuck Palahniuk and Irving Welsh telling stories, and it was one of the most awesome gigs I've ever been to, and I can't believe it's that long ago. Uh, six, nearly seven years. Good grief. That's amazing, isn't it? Amazing. Anyway, Dave, thanks for joining us. Um, it's very Cheers. pleased to have you. I'll, I'll start with the people in the studio because it's a bit easier. And uh, we also persuaded Chris, persuaded Chris from G Media, who's over there, G4 Software. I've got G Media. I was looking at the notes. That's when you were back when you were called G Media. There's Chris from G4 Software, um, uh, Dave's business partner and um, co developer of all those fabulous instruments. Um, hello, Chris. Hello, Nick. Hello, everybody. Chris has said he doesn't want to be involved, but this is about we us. Forced we, we forced him. him. That's why he's looking so eminently comfortable <laughs> right there. I'm going to switch him out. And, but, uh, anyway, thank you very much for joining us. We have the entire team. And if we go to, uh, go to remote, in fact, I got used to saying QVT when I was on the Personas live stand, which is something that I've always wanted to say <laughs> in a Mike Manfield sort of style. Yeah. Um, uh, we'll say hello. Well, well, Rich Hilton. We haven't had Rich Hilton on for ages. Rich has been kind of busy. You've been in uh, Japan and all over the place. Are you? Uh, how are you? Good, thank you. Very good. Happy to be here. I'm glad you're here too. It seems only fitting after yeah. 300 episodes. I can't believe it. It's just. Yeah. Uh, I was looking on YouTube, and um, I, I, we've only been doing the video for a short while, and um, there's already 59 hours of this if you want to watch it. So, 300. There's going to be about 300 hours, which is what? What's that? That's about. Um, 10, 12 days straight you could listen to Sonic Talk for if you felt so inclined I don't recommend anybody does it of course um, but you know just in case you felt the need to but anyway Rich thank you very much for joining us so you, uh, what are you up to at the moment is there anything you can tell us about or is it uh, all hush hush and uh, behind the scenes um, no, well no it's not there's not much of it that's behind the scenes um, well uh, as you say I was in Japan for New Year's uh, which was wonderful and since then, we've been hard at it in the studio, working on different things, recording guitars on various people's projects, writing things. Um, I've been updating software. I've been using quite a bit of soft synths along the way and things like that. Uh, yes, uh, then recently, we did a concert in New York, which uh, we had as a guest, Adam Lambert of uh, Idol fame, who's a big famous singer these days and who was most recently known for singing in Queen oh. and uh, is remarkable, is really a stunning artist. I had no idea. 
this guy is really unbelievable. I was so impressed. We all were. I guess you'd have and, to to kind of even get near to the footsteps of Mr. Mercury. I mean, that must be quite a daunting prospect just on that level. It might be for most people, but I got to tell you, this guy can sing. I was so, we were all just blown away by him. And uh, he's also very charismatic and uh, nice guy and a lot of fun there. And then uh, yesterday back in the studio uh, recording guitars for a uh, project that I can't go into too deeply, but it's not us. It's, uh, he's, he's really enjoying playing on people's projects these days, the right kinds of people to him, whatever that amounts to. And, uh, and it's always fun for me. I love recording and playing guitar because he's like one of the greatest guitar players there is. He gets a great sound and it's easy as pie. We have a great sound up on him. 24-7 ready to go, and people walk in with their sessions, and we make them happy. Ah, brilliant. So is there a kind of um, specific record path you use for that that you can tell us, Lately, or is it the secret? Well, I, you know, I change things up just because I feel I must, but right now the guitar path is the Neve 5302 console into a Neve, what is it, 32254E compressor. It's all like stuff from the very early 70s. All oh, right. And, and, and he's mic'd, right? What's, what's the kind no, of... He's what, ah, no, he's not. DI'd. Radial, radial DI, which I love, by the way. Excellent stuff. Oh, really interesting. Stuff. That is interesting. I to uh, drive a plane over that thing and it would still work. Right, that is interesting. Uh, do you see Radial had a few um, Series 500, new 500 cases and what have you, using any of the 500 Series stuff or is it just uh, the, the, the standalone DI stuff? The standalone DI stuff. I, my needs are small and, and pretty straightforward. You know what I did see by them in one of your videos that was really interesting is a very specific DI for Paizo pickups. Yes, uh, Cherry Picker, I think that was called. It sounds phenomenal. I because I typically hate them. And yeah, they so do I. They sound, they sound like the wrong thing into the wrong thing usually, in don't they? In fact, for almost anybody who plays an acoustic guitar on stage with one of those with a straight out of the back plug on it, that is the device I want between him and me if I'm the sound guy. Ah, well, good tip. I, I think there's a video which I have actually not put up yet. I don't. Uh, it might be the last one to go. Um, that reminded me of my uh, lack, my, my, my slacking there. Um, but yeah, good tip. All right, thanks, Rich. Um, and we'll go now to, uh, let's see, who have we got here? Uh, it must be Mark Tinley. How are you, Mark? Mark Tinley, of course, uh, lightbeing.com, sound designer, sound artist, creative thinker, and man of many hairstyles. <laughs> oh, I'm very well, actually, thank you. Um, what are you going to ask? I don't ask know. Okay. Have I so thrown I you? Have anything to say? <laughs> God, that's not like me. I could tell you about my psychic source. Look. Oh, that looks good. I was in Hitchin Market and I saw the tarot reading lady. Well, I didn't see her because I don't believe in that stuff anymore. But she was selling psychic source, and I had to find out what it was because it sounded like very predictive. You know. <laughs> is he? Uh, are you? Uh... Is she branching out there? Not a lot of people want to know what the future is. They just want to buy hot. Spicy sauces instead. <laughs> it's, always have to, it's always good to have something fall back on, isn't it? That's what my mum always said. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, my mum said that. I don't, I don't think she was expecting that to do this. That's what psychics mums say to them when they're learning to be psychics. So it's good to have something to fall back on. Why don't you try making some sauces? 
I did go to an extraordinary psychic in America who tried to charge me $200 to clear some evil spirit and gave me a candle and everything. But I think the psychics in America are a different flavour to what they are over here. I think they've got a little bit more integrity in Britain. Not a lot, but just a bit. Ah, should have got four candles. Ah. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. That's a very British joke. Uh, you have to think about yes, it for exactly. a bit. Um, right, okay. Well, uh, uh, this is rather free form. Um, I just want to say cheers to uh, Dave for bringing a little bit of pink fears down. Actually, cheers. we get that on camera. Come over this way. Bit further. Go on, you can make it without foot. There we go. Ting. Happy uh, 300th um, to everybody. Um, I mean, first of all, there was a couple of things I forgot. I was a bit addled last week from Nam, and I wanted to just say that there were a couple of things I forgot. Uh, we, we actually also announced a kind of best of show awards thing last night, uh, which we'll be working on for a bit. And uh, one of those is, uh, one of the first things that I forgot about is in the awards, and that's the Stephen Slate Raven MTI. But before I do that, I wanted to say I did meet uh, John Van Eaton. Uh, he came along on the Saturday Night Bash and uh, was very kindly uh, came along, and uh, we had a bit of a chat with him. Great to meet him. I... I it's funny when you kind of do this Skype interview thing and you meet someone in the flesh, it's not like you haven't met them before. It's very, it's really strange. It almost feels like you know them better than if you just bumped into them at a party briefly for a short period of time. It's very, very peculiar kind of uh, um, phenomenon kind of thing. So, uh, but it was great to see him. And also I want to say uh, thanks very much to Mira, Mira Roberts, who came over and helped out, kind of did... Um, uh, a bit of filming and uh, helped us with the food runs and just kind of keeping us going. Much appreciated. Uh, she does it for kind of, um, well, I, I think she enjoys it and I very much appreciate it. I always feel very terribly bad that uh, she's not having fun, but I think she did have fun and she got to see uh, some really good stuff. Uh, we got her into the 65 Amps party, so she saw, I can't remember the name of the guy, but um, some famous guitarist that she was really a fan of. So uh, hopefully we managed to kind of repay her some kindness for all her help. And also I want to say thanks very much to uh, Elizabeth and James from Synthtopia, two of the nicest people in the world uh, that uh, it's always good to kind of sit down with on a Saturday night amongst all the sort of rubbish there's some two genuine people and you can talk about stuff that isn't necessarily you know what's going on around you so i wanted to get that out of my way uh, out of the way before because i'd forgotten last week and i do apologize for not um, being a bit more um, on it but let's just take a look at this quickly um i think i can switch it in there it goes and probably uh, scroll it up this is actually the stephen slate pro audio we've seen the raven mtx this is the mti, MTI to you you look over here the raven mti is the world's first multi-touch control of your daw on a mac you have access to faders pans solos mutes inserts everything you would want to control your daw and as you can see it lays right on top of your pro tools and there's your edit and mix window let me walk you through some of the features to access inserts Hit the insert button, and we have our custom plug. I won't play all of this. This was a Harmony Central video, so I'm guessing Craig Anderton probably filmed this. And I, I, I did try and get along there, but as I said, there was so much busy kind of action there. But we saw the MTX, which is the massive, ridiculous kind of 35 grand console that you know everybody was going, "Wow, that's crazy!" Uh, sort of super, super expensive. Whereas this thing is three and a half grand, and I saw it in action, and it really is. When you see it on a smaller scale like that, you kind of you get it a little bit more, and it's got monitor control and metering built in and stuff, and it it, it kind of feels like a much more uh, 
realistic step into this kind of world of touch. I know, uh, Rich, you're you're um, a mouse guy pretty much when you're working with your system. I mean, I know perhaps the big, perhaps the huge great thing in front of you might not have been so appealing. But what do you think about this? Does this kind of seem like a kind of more viable option in terms of running? I mean, it is an extra layer on top of Pro Tools, but it actually integrates well and it's got some really neat features for grouping and moving stuff around and for macro fade, you know, some really kind of quite neat stuff. What do you think? I think it looks interesting and I'd like to get my hands on one to find out if I can grow to like this idea. Yeah. Because I sort of don't like the idea, but I'm certainly willing to give it a shot. That's kind of how I feel about it. It doesn't look like something I want to do, but I want to see it before I decide that. I'm pretty sure someone, uh, s- someone like you could get hold of one of these to try out and uh, in situ. I'm sure it must be feasible. Yeah, maybe, maybe so. Maybe so. And it might be fun. And the fact that it's bigger or smaller than the other one, it really has nothing to do with it for me. Because if I wanted it bad enough, I'd find the room. Uh, which you can it. drag anywhere Oops, on the sorry window. about that. I think I just pressed the wrong button there. No, it's there cool. But, um, and I watched the whole video, and he's, and he's good. And it's well implemented, well thought out. You have nice kind of access to everything. It's conceptually interesting to think about the idea that the limitations that brought about the shape of the console that we've all grown used to using, which is the vertical aligned fader, where you start with fader and then you've got buttons, then you've got knobs, usually a bunch of aux ends, then some EQs, and somewhere up at the top you've got bus ends, and pretty much everybody's consoles were based in that kind of physical paradigm because it made sense from a manufacturing standpoint, and it put the EQ you were using right above the fader you were hearing, and conceptually that all made it very easier very easy. And then in the age of digital consoles, we went to a generalized control section in the middle, like the Sony Oxford, where you'd select a channel that would then appear in the middle of the console at all of those generalized controls, and you'd use those. And now we've gone to a touch surface, which emulates the original physical limitations of the hardware that the digital consoles sought not to emulate. So I just (laughs) think artistically, it's an interesting evolution of concept and it's not hard to understand why they want to do it that way because it's familiar to people and the easiest way to sell a car is to put a steering wheel on it. But um, That's a very good point. I mean, I'm sure all of that stuff could, I mean, because it's just interface, you could move that stuff around and maybe go for the kind of fat channel approach like you get in the kind of live digital desks. Well, well, it does sort of represent that insofar as in the touchscreen world, when you select the channel, it you get that sub-menu of the, what do you want to see, the plugins, the inserts, the whatever, and then you press that and your plugin list comes up. In, in other words, it all does make sense. It's implemented well. And that's why I say I'd like to get my hands on it because just conceptually I'm so blocked from liking the idea that I want to play with it to see if I can start to like the idea. I suppose the thing is, because, I mean, you know, you, you were talking about your accord path for, uh, for for Niall's guitar, and, you know, that's very that's not really channel-based. You've got a module here and a module there and kind of things disparate about the place. It's just a question of patching it together and then coming into presumably uh, mixer channels in, in Pro Tools, right? Yeah, well, my beginnings of using a console mostly as a playback device go back to 1984, We've been using outboard input paths since then, right? Uh, pretty much. It's never been integrated. I've never been necessarily, but at the same time, if I'm recording basics for a band and I'm sitting at a place like Sphere Studios and you've got Duran Duran on the other side of the glass, I'm going to use a lot of the console stuff, right? As I did when we did Duran Duran, because it's a great console and you've got 
it right in front of you. So there's certain things, but yet on the lead vocal, I probably didn't. I probably, well, actually, sometimes I did, but other times I didn't. And, uh, you know, yeah. if you have a good enough console, you can do that. I guess the thing is that I, 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 we're, we're kind of, the idea with this is it's hands-on, you can reach and grab things very quickly, and, you know, in, in the same way that when live stuff is happening, you need to know where it all is, whereas perhaps with a mixed scenario, or when you're automated, because you showed other various aspects to it, that's perhaps not so critical, because you're usually concentrating on one or two things at a time, or is that um, a generalization? In, as in, I do, mean, in yeah. door world, anyway. Uh, as I'm mixing, yeah, I'm usually concentrating mentally on... A, a small set of things. It's hard to, it's only towards the end that you start to really listen, I, I, that I really start to hear the entire picture. You begin from individually doing things. It's mm. otherwise you're finger painting the whole way. And uh, that's, you know, so I start from the bottom. Right. That's, you know, drum sure. and that. And, uh, but, and maybe other people work from the middle out. What do I know? But um, you have to have some kind of methodology. I think if you were finger painting the whole time, you end up, in a very, very uh, inconsistent and unpredictable place. At least I'm not comfortable that way. Sure. Or well, so. God forbid, writing it as you go along, which is what, certainly what most of the rest of us do, that's for sure. Um, well, no, it's the, the important thing is to have, at least have, you know, the sun, the, an idea where the sun rises and the sun sets and which direction you think you're going in. Yeah. You may not end up in that direction, and but the sun still rises over there and sets over there. You know, so you... You're just orienting yourself differently as you go along, but you have to at least have some kind of path. Yeah, yeah. It's, but it's, a, it's, a, it's certainly a very interesting idea. And um, the thing is, is when I was talking to the guys uh, on the stand, they were um, – it, it felt very uh, – because I know when I've spoken to Gaz and other people, it, it's about the response time. And this did feel very responsive. I mean, five milliseconds is pretty damn good. I mean, it's MIDI kind of – uh, well, sub MIDI, isn't it, really, Dave? I mean, have you have you had a chance to have you used anything sort of touchscreen like that kind of gives you a glimpse of what this might possibly be able to to offer somebody like you in the you know in in a mix situation or a record situation? No, in short. <laughs> Damn. Um, but at this price, actually, is something that you know could be explored. We're in a situation at the minute where you know we've got a new studio being built, so actually, in the back of my mind, all the time is. Okay, so how are we going to piece it together? And there are certain things that I want to do in terms of a real jam live situation thing. And what I really like about a, you know an official analog console is that we can stuff instruments into channels in real time, and we can both we could both be on there. Chris and I can both be on there merging sequences and playing around with things. And actually, for the first time, because what was the price of the giant? It's like tens of you know i think it's 35 or it's a lot basically. yeah and that was kind of completely out of my reach and actually it was something that i didn't really want to explore but whereas for this kind of money yeah well three and a half really thousand bucks is three, three and a half thousand bucks is kind of i don't know what it'll, it'll probably be about three grand in the uk i'd imagine maybe maybe more i mean i don't know but just one question because i didn't watch this unfortunately um is this just does this just work with Pro Tools? Can I use this with any other door? You can work it with other doors, and I think there's more integration coming on stream because basically it's... I, I'm not entirely sure how the what the integration is between the software layer and the uh, the underlying yeah, software, but I'd like to find out more about that. But it kind of reminded me a little bit of the... Uh, the... Oh, the Limur Dexter, which I yeah. think was nearly brilliant, yeah. you know, because of the way that it allowed you to group and manipulate large numbers of, tra of tracks and elements of things within a touch interface. So I really, I, and that's the thing that I kind of found quite interesting. 
Uh, Mark, have you? What, what do you think of this? this? This should be kind of fun to work with, don't you think? I do want to have something like this. I'm not sure if this is exactly what I want to have, but I've never... See, the thing is, I didn't start off with mixing desks, so I didn't understand mixing desks. Oh, God, I, I mean, I started off with two cassette recorders and a whole load of wires and a whole load of things plugged into things, and I sat there and worked out how to plug stuff up and so that I could do overdubs, and I didn't have any kind of mixing other than being able to jam two jack sockets in the same place. <laughs> <laughs> Merging Y-leads, yeah. All my balancing was all thought out sort of beforehand and how I was going to bounce things, and then my kind of recording got more and more... Uh, complex, but I don't think I encountered a mixer for years, actually. I mean, I, 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 and when I did, I used it like a summing mixer, which is I just set everything flat, and then I tended to work with the levels in the instruments, which I know isn't going to give you the best uh, signal-to-noise ratio, but it meant that when I came back to any project, I could put a disc in the Atari and a disc in my S900 and a disc in my FZ1, and I could, like, turn everything to, like, unity on the mixer and that i knew that my right. track would sound the same as it did you know well effectively you were kind of using the recall of the of the of the instruments uh, yeah well that makes absolute sense i mean yeah. it, it, it agreed i'm sure you're you know the engineers would have been gasping with horror when you turned up and so but no you must change all of these things but <laughs> but, well, but they yeah did. they said can you turn that up in the machine and I'd be like, no, it's all perfectly balanced and then they <laughs> record it all and then they balance it all differently and then course that didn't well it did and didn't work you'd flounce off um, um no no nah, well good glad to hear that i'd get drunk and jump jump on the mixing desk actually. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably better actually in in many ways um it's a very interesting overall kind of thing i don't know chris have you had any opportunity to, to to kind of play with these large format touch devices i mean is there something about anything about them that appeals to you just wonder if there's any uh scope for integration with instruments going forward yeah um, it, I, I, and i wonder how that uh, the, the sort of tactility of a playing an instrument is the key thing yeah and i wonder these while well, these interfaces look wonderful i wonder if they'll bring anything to the playing experience that you you don't get from playing and grabbing a knob as it were i'm not sure that they do at the moment i mean uh, um, people in the chat room have been saying you know one of the big things is you know having some sort of uh, haptic or vibration feedback on these because it's just a flat surface and that is again you know we've talked about this before as being a kind of major issue did but you, did you see that thing that um 3d somebody yeah 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 i was just thinking about that i can't believe i didn't send it to you it's a touch surface where this thing pops out of the touch surface it's like science fiction. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? And we were just like, dude, that's just, that really is. It's like terraforming. Leap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really was like, what's that program where, uh, that, that film where, you know, the drops of water, it's like um, the Arnold Schwarzenegger, I don't know what it was. Wow, I know. It was I've... science fiction stuff. Oh, well, we'll look it up. Well, maybe we'll talk about that next week because yeah. uh, um, it's unbelievable. God knows we need the topics <laughs> <laughs> after three hundred uh, three hundred shows. You know, I, I sometimes struggle, as I'm sure you all our listeners are aware. I, I want to say a big hi to the chat room. Of course, I forgot to mention that, and uh, uh, of course, we since going live. What's that? BBC uh, code. Terraforming screen. I can't actually. It's get a terraforming that. screen. Let me uh, see if I can get it in here. I've got the, I haven't got the chat remote. Oh, I thought you were in terror of this thing. I, I really didn't understand. No. I, I, well, it could be. 
you could actually be you know if somebody brought it into the studio and kind of did what we saw in the video in front of you you'd go whoa, whoa get can somebody away. post that link again because it's gone past in my chat which i've just opened sorry um then i might be able to uh, uh paste it into a uh, a url and we can have a look at that um the terraforming screen i know it's taking the the subject slightly in a different direction but didn't somebody produce a a knob that you could use with a yeah. uh, touch screen yeah, right, yeah, could, yeah. You stick, could it on stick it on your regular LCD or something. Yeah, I yeah. yeah. So, oh, here we go. Let's have a look. Here we go. This is CES 2013, and what we're showing here today is what we believe is the world's first dynamic tactile touchscreen. It's on a seven-inch uh, tablet computer here, and normally you can see here is nice-looking screen, smooth, flat. But when we want to bring up a keyboard, boom! Whoa! <laughs> so what happens there? Is there some? Uh, some buttons have just emerged from from the there touch screen. Wow! So you can press just and feel the keyboard. Wait a minute! They, they were there all the time. Exactly. Uh, and how does that work? How do they appear <laughs> like that? Somebody so check the date. We use a technology called microfluidics. Tenth of January. Um, it's not first of April. We basically have uh, a special fluid which we put in our tactile. Special layer. fluid. And by yeah, and I was thinking. Can, uh, just uh, think uh, of the uh, opportunities for pornography. Quickly, so that we don't <laughs> wow. Want it's a man's device. They take a moment to kind of disappear, but they, yeah. they definitely do go away, don't they? Exactly. Um, so, so what else can you, to do, can you do? That is absolutely... Oh, cool is I mean, I wonder how far you can extrude. You know? <laughs> I mean, I, 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 keep it, keep it um, you know, let's keep it clean, folks. But uh, that's, that's astonishing. Yeah, that, something like that would make an, an awful lot of sense, wouldn't it? Wow. wow. But I I mean, how long would it last? God, that's, that's... Can you get an 88 key weighted action keyboard to come up out of the thing? That would just be, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Except one key's broken. <laughs> that is absolutely... Like the lowest one. <laughs> that's crazy. Banking on the side of your iPad. Must feel like blisters on your iPad and money. Um, although that was a quite... How does it, how does it have coloured... I mean, I know it's kind of weird that it makes... It, it changes physical form but the fact that it's actually different colors inside that physical form is the weirdest thing be a graphic underneath perhaps yeah i mean it must be a screen and then a um you know and then the 3d stuff is is mapped over the top and you can and so you can presumably spe specify exactly where it is on the screen in the same way that you can with the graphics but that's crazy stuff thank you very much uh, the chat room folks for that yeah, um, yeah, who, yeah. Who, who sent me that suva i don't recognize your name you must be new here but thanks very much that's my, th this is the one thing about the chat room if i pop back into the chat room I just want to say thanks to the chat room because that they're the, sort of the turbo brain that kind of helps me when um when i start to forget things or I, didn't know about them in the first place and if we're on a very congratulatory mode after my single glass of sparkling Pink. No, the, some guys in the chat room have just been awesome, actually, over these shows. We, I've started to use some of them as um, beta testers and people like Red Walks, Mark JX8B. I mean, all sorts of people. LaGrange Audio, but over the period, they've just become really highly valued members of society. That's right. They've been reintegrated. Yeah. So well <laughs> done. Been Thank you very much. The chat room's great. Currently at over 62 members, we're streaming to live. Uh, those of you who've never seen this or have stumbled upon it and have actually got... Mr. CR78, I like so, yeah, yeah, He absolutely. sends me emails and stuff. People who've, uh, who've actually managed to stay listening this far into the YouTube video, 27 minutes or whatever, 
Uh, there is a live chat room that goes along with this, uh, sonicstate.com forward slash live, uh, Wednesdays at 4pm, just to let you know, in case um, you were wondering. So there's the little lower third there. As we're, um, we're currently between advertisers, currently negotiating a couple of things, so uh, hopefully there'll be more news on that for, uh, forthcoming. Um, of course, if you'd like to advertise on the show, then please drop us a line and we'll see what we can do. Um, anyway... Uh, that was that was kind of the. I don't know if there's any other stuff, Rich, because we haven't spoken to you, Rich, since uh, Nam is all over, and I'm not sort of looking for any kind of like Nick. Your coverage was, was brilliant or anything. So, was there anything that you saw there that made you think, oh, actually, that's that's kind of cool? Specific. Well, first, first of all, Nick, your coverage brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that was Andy and Rob and Trev and all the other guys as well, and Rich. I want to thank them too. <laughs> Uh, no, it was. It really was enjoyable, and I watched quite. A, I probably watched fifty videos. I don't know. I watched at least a th- half to two thirds of what you posted. Um, yeah, lots of things interested me. The uh, the uh, modular starter kit industry. Ah, is, yeah, the Pittsburgh modular the, guys. Well, yeah. Pittsburgh's got one, but there are other guys too who sure. seem to be trying to accommodate a a beginner's lower price point entry level modular concept. Yeah, where for a thousand bucks you can get these mod, you can basically get a JX, you know, <laughs> a, a Juno sixty in a in a modular form, and and then you can you know buy and add to as needed and everything. But there is a couple of beginner modular platforms I thought were very cool con- uh, concepts. Um, the synth world is like it's locked. on fire at the moment, isn't it? Between Dave Smith's thing and that sub fatty, and uh, what am I leaving out? There were some other things too. The Schmidt, <laughs> yeah, the Schmidt. Well, you know, I'd like to get my hands on the Schmidt because I saw, I now get it. I get his layout. I've seen it. I understand his layout. I didn't much like the sounds I heard coming out of it, but I don't necessarily assume that that means that that's what it sounds like. Yeah, I need to spend some time with those filters. I need to work with the thing. I need, um, but I, it was interesting to me, and I enjoyed. You know, I've been watching all the demos like crazy on it. Um, but Dave Smith's instrument really looks. Fantastic. It does look. That looks. I mean, that is a killer synthesizer. Well, end, I mean, it's three thousand dollars, and you. Yeah, but that, I don't think three thousand dollars seems expensive for what you're getting there. Uh, Four no, oscillators no, per voice. I mean, instrument, but it's the high end. Yeah. It's that you know, Chronos. We're rarefied area. Pardon yeah. me? I haven't wanted a synth for like uh, years, li- literally years. I mean, I kind of got the V synth because it can do some fantastic things with elastic audio. So I don't really think of that as a synth. I think of it more of a sampler. But in terms of like waking up every morning since having seen that thing, I kind of roll out of bed and I think, I really want a profit. <laughs> I've got this kind of like nagging thing in the back of my mind, like I've got to get one. So it's it's uh, great no that somebody's it's great that somebody's injected a bit of desirability into the market again. Yeah, you, yeah. You know those high the the Schmidt and the yeah the Dave Smith. Well, and you know not only that, but uh, I mean our best of show went to the MS Twenty, which I didn't sort of yeah. MS Twenty Mini, which I didn't think I was going to be saying, but just because again, it's it's such a sort of bonkers thing to do really and it just shows the way that you know other and there are other i think there are going to be other two oscillator analog voices analog synths coming along as a result i think that that's going to open up you know that's going to force people who've designed decent synth engines in terms of va or whatever uh uh, in, in terms of va hardware i think they're going to end up kind of considering moving into hardware as well because they've already designed the voice structure and the things about it that make it cool 
not looking at anybody in particular here, guys. <laughs> no, but the giveaway comment was that, in fact, we both talked about it, didn't we? Um, the giveaway comment was that uh, Dave Smith had had his best year ever. And we're like, we really celebrate that whole kind of boutique, hardcore, devoted, small company ethos. And that's, you know, the fact that people like that are kind of succeeding is quite something yeah yeah absolutely i think there's just there's just a lot there's a lot to kind of look at in terms of synth world and that's the you know that's the big takeaway i think i've got because in previous years it's been you know ipad versions of everything and what have you and that there was very little of that this year really uh, in terms of focus it was definitely a couple of years ago wasn't it i think was the last time we went and the you noticed that Actually, what was funny is that when you first start exhibiting at NAMM, you're always down in, what is it, Hall E or something. And you never really want to be there. You want to be up with the big guys in Hall A. And there's quite a lot of posturing goes on between companies. And what became quite apparent a couple of years ago is that actually a lot of the big companies wanted to be in Hall E (laughs) because Hall E was slightly cooler than Hall B and Hall C, which was full of drums anyway. So all the kind of tech companies were just like, hey, have you seen what's down in Hall E sort of thing? And it appeared that that had kind of migrated en masse. It's interesting about that. Uh, I mean, we went down and we filmed some modular stuff and they said we were the only press that showed up. Which is, yeah, horrendous. Which is really surprising. I mean, there's got to be... You got to, you got. I mean, you got to look to the distributor about that. Really, surely there must be. They should be getting more stuff down there because these guys are, you know, they're they're the people that need the coverage, I guess. Really, but anyway, you've put them all out of business, Nick. How have I done that? It's interesting because by oh, the press, you mean? Oh yeah. Yes. Hold no, on. and this is re- and it regards this apparently. Hold on, I'm I'm having switching I'm having switching crisis. Um, Chris, sorry, carry on. It seems there's a feeling that there's a sea change in uh, what's being developed in terms of hardware. There seems to be the desire from people to actually move into hardware. We talked about was the the dope for uh, comments last year Mm. being their best year ever. Well, dope for weren't there because he's too busy. He's too busy. So there seems to be... Well, actually, I I was wondering about this because... The format seems to be, I mean, if you if you take the Prophet 12 out of the equation, the two oscillator subtractive synthesizer with your sta- roughly standard kind of monosynth voicing, you know, from the sub fatty up to, to, to mini brute to the whatever. I'm wondering whether there's been some kind of new chip, because this is what usually happens in software as well. You, you get a kind of jump in uh, emulation and DSP which allows certain things to happen. I'm wondering if the same things happened in the electronics industry, which somebody, you know, some Chinese factory or whatever has, has made a VCA chip or a whatever chip that allows people to make this more cost effectively. I'm more cynical. I think it's probably to do with the baby boom in China. Little Chinese fingers making little Chinese <laughs> components. I do uh, think that we have to be very mindful of that. You know, I do yeah. think that when we're, ch- you know, when companies chase lowest price, denomination all the time that there is a price to pay for things and uh, you can't go yeah, yeah you got to be careful you do well that well, that dave is smith, true dave smith makes that point very well in your video and in that uh in the video that we're about to segue into um on the topic list which involves some of the most historic figures of all time discussing the development and history of midi yeah but uh, but dave smith makes that point very clearly about you get what you pay for and he also talks about how a lot 
people like to complain about the limitations of things and of MIDI, but he says that in implementing it properly, you can make it all speak very well. Yeah, uh, that was interesting. And that is a good point to, uh, to maybe go in. We'll come back to the, some of the other topics in line afterwards. <laughs> but uh, um, I think th- that was another thing. This was a uh, film by the Future Music guys, uh, Chris Barker and Will Seelig, uh, who did, uh, went off to one of the sort of NAM chat room, uh, the NAM kind of event rooms, which is something I've never done, actually. I've never seen. So this was a real eye-opener for me. And this was, uh, um, I'm using the one posted on Synthetopia because I don't want them to feel like I'm kind of robbing them of, uh, of, uh, of content or whatever. Um, because, uh, well, anyway, uh, not not because of anything. But this was uh, the 30 Years of MIDI, and this is uh, Tom, uh, I think it's Tom White. White Tom yeah. White, who's the head of MIDI.org. And um, the past, the, 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 the uh, panel are, you know, pretty amazing. We were talking... probably no order to the way the discussion... Well, I won't say who it is. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll have it because the introduction is extremely long. But as you can see there, we've got Dave Smith, Jordan Rudess, uh, Alan Parsons, Craig Anderton... Uh, that's uh, George Duke, uh, who's uh, you know one of the sort of first legendary synth players in in terms of you know Zappa and the, some of the funk stuff he did with Stanley Clark, and then on the end we got uh, Tom Oberheim. So a really prestigious panel, all sort of talking about the thirty years of MIDI and you know how it all started out and what made it kind of take off. And that was really really interesting. And Jordan Rudess was there, and uh, I know he's been getting a lot of stick for being overexposed, but he's a really uh, he's got some really interesting points of view. But coming at it from an app developer and what he's doing, a lot of it's down to you know, he's pushing the envelopes of MIDI, you know, and he kind of like got 10 multi-touch things and they're all sending controller information. How do you make that happen over MIDI? He said, it's a nightmare. You know, you just about stuff, but you can do it in a $1 app, but you can't do it on a, on, on a pro level very easily at all, which was very interesting. But the, the one thing that was really cool um, is when Tom Oberheim, because obviously Tom and Dave must have been in competition, you know, essentially, because uh, Tom Oberheim was working on making polysynths and making stuff. And, and Dave Smith got there first with the Profit 5 and made the affordable policy. And as Tom said, he just sort of went, mm, okay, time to get out of the business, basically, because he just had his sort of, his his pricing level and his level of you know, what he could do for the money kind of rather blown out of the water. But as he said, the reason it was taken seriously, because when you're working with MIDI, and this happens over at USB, I get it quite a lot when I'm doing reviews over here and I've got a USB coming into the system and I've got a video out. You get ground loops on the audio, a really kind of awful interference. And with MIDI, it was specifically uh, a big problem and it's something that they couldn't actually solve. And it's the opto-isolator, which is, I'm guessing, is uh, it, it, it turns the MIDI signal into optical and then into the system, which kind of keeps the whole... Uh, um, ground hum thing out of the way and that was kind of what sounded like was the really big deal and it was the whole thing cost like a dollar for the parts and that was very interesting but just their general thoughts about what midi made possible as well was really fascinating i know i'm rich i'm guessing you know coming from a kind of studio background and working work also electronic music i mean you must have been working with tape and what have you and the, the thing that was very interesting was the way they said it blurred i think it was craig anderton who was very eloquent and had some great things to say as well it had ramifications between because you'd have composers on one side and you'd have performers and songwriters on the other side and there was a very distinct division because they had the, the facilities you needed to write to picture or to orchestrate were very specific to your task, whereas MIDI kind of blurred that line and made made, made it all sort of available. I mean, what, is that was that your experience? How how, it, how did it work? What did it bring to the table for you when it first started to come in? Well, it accelerated the already 
the democratization of the process, which had already begun with the beginning of Porta Studios and those Ah, kinds of personal recording devices. And when personal recording devices began, what it did was it served that purpose of democratizing the process to the extent that people without formal training could begin to record their own ideas and put them together themselves. That was greatly furthered at the arrival point of MIDI which really initially was an attempt to be able to take your what X you know your X keyboard and connect it to your Y synth and play Y synth from your X keyboard and that was really in the beginning its sort of most ambitious target. Yeah, I, I, I actually blame the sound of pianos and strings together. It was that la- it was the layered sound, wasn't it? It was the pianos with the pad underneath. It's coming from there, but all right, you know. Uh, I think the, no, but I think that's where it, it started out. It's that whole kind of piano strings or layering, you know. It, but it was it was it was the Richard Claydemann kind of voice or the the kind of you know the the the, the I guess the big eighties acts that were doing lots of layering, you know, the kind of. Um, Spandobly. We go, okay. <laughs> Those Everybody guys. was looking around their massive rigs and going, why can't I play that thing over there from this keyboard over here? Layering. That's what it is. It's got, da- we've Dave, got to go to Chris. I Dave, is queuing, J- Dave is queuing wildly. Because um, <laughs> um, I, I, as far as I understand, uh, Chris, you kind of like got one of your first kind of gigs, teching gigs, was based on the fact that you kind of understood how okay. to interface things together. But that was pre-MIDI, right? Uh, no, that was with the advent of MIDI. In fact, I think that my trajectory, <laughs> wherever that is, through the business, uh, runs parallel to that of MIDI. Um, in fact, the first gig that I got was based around the simple fact that I knew how to hook two synths together, a DX7 and a Juno 60. Juno 60 DCB. with DCB. And wow. I showed the keyboard player that he could play the voices of one synth from the other and patch change as well. Woohoo! And uh, that was it. That was I'd been reluctant to take the gig. They'd asked me to be the keyboard tech. And I said, look, I can drive the truck, but <laughs> any more than that, I don't know. Uh, and that was it. On the basis of that, the gig was mine. And He was Aztec Camera's keyboard tech. And I had many years of touring around the world as a result it was fantastic but um the piano uh the piano strings layering thing became the fact that you could hook up you know multiple modules became a a horrible wash and very (laughs) unmusical in my to my ears and i was very critical of uh, a lot of the sounds that were generated as a result it all became and that was the 80s. It was, it was yeah. It was such, Keith uh, Emerson uh, used to call him up and say, what's this? M1D1 or my die? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, because I, it was so new and so fresh and people, <laughs> people just didn't understand this concept. I mean, CV gate, what the hell, you know. We've been asked whether MIDI is stereo <laughs> or not. Yeah, I had a very eminent musician call me and ask me, do I need a stereo MIDI lead? <laughs> because I can't get audio out of my whatever it I was. Hope the, I hope the answer was yes. Of course, yes. Yeah, <laughs> and Waitrose sell them in abundance. Just <laughs> pop down to the meat counter and ask them. No. For me, it marks a massive shift in from performer to composer. And yeah. that's the real truth of it. And Dave Smith was, uh, I, as I understand, very um, forthright in championing what was then mode four, which became multi-timbral mode. 
Right. Uh, and also, I mean, as Dave, uh, Dave, I think, does get kind of um, credited with perhaps, you know, th- he's the focus of it. He's the kind of the all-American MIDI hero. But in fact, you know, there was uh, also Mr. Takahashi from Roland, you know, also, in fact, he got him and uh, Dave Smith got the Grammy, didn't they, for technical achievements. Um, and, and, you know, Dave is uh, at pains at various points to point out that, you know, it wasn't just him. There were other people. But I think those two kind of made the... The, and and also Marcus Ryle, according to the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Album, which I didn't know, who's the the, the brains line. behind Line Six? And I, behind and I think he's Kakahashi, isn't he? Kakahashi. Yeah. Kakahashi. Yeah, Kakahashi. I'm sorry about that. That's just my Japanese and um, <laughs> pink champagne. champagne. <laughs> Don't tend to go together all that well. But Mark, you came through during this period as well, didn't you? This whole MIDI is new. Me? Yeah, I did. I didn't. I had MIDI for quite a long time before I really knew what it was, because I was doing it. I, all my samplers were CV gate, so I'd got. I built my own sampler with the ZX Spectrum, and I put this interface in the back of it, and that hooked up to the CV gate on a microcomposer, and I could do my drums because it it uh, segmented the RAM into different, not keys. It didn't do it per key, but it did to sort of to different areas so if i played a c a d or an e maybe that would do the kick drum but if i went further up the keyboard and played an a a b or a c that would be the snare so i could like i could program um, my drums over cv gate but then i bought a 909 and I, I had some drum machines before that that were all sync 24 that didn't work very well actually because <laughs> Korg had Sync 48 and Roland had Sync 24, so nothing interfaced properly with anything else. I remember that. And then I got a 909, and the 909 had MIDI on it, and eventually somebody lent me a, a, an S900, which I plugged into the back of the 909 and discovered that I could do all sorts of things, and then that was it. I was like, right, I've got to have this. I've got to have MIDI things. And then um, uh, I tried some MIDI sequences on the ZX Spectrum, which were truly appalling, <laughs> and then bought an Atari ST, a 520 ST, and that was an absolute... Well, that, that was it. When, for me also, yeah. I mean, I have to say, MIDI kind of basically got me going because I did a I did a call, went back in the, uh, the, the, the 80s when uh, we were all unemployed teenagers. Um, there was a, a, a work program in the UK called uh, Community Program, which actually sounds like a, some sort of uh, suspended jail service, but it wasn't actually that <laughs> at all. What it, it was, it was the idea was to get uh, it was Community Program. That's right. It was to get um, kids to go and do training as part. If they were unemployed, they they funded kind of local experts in stuff to kind of run courses for kids to go on and kind of learn stuff. And I learned, I went to a studio, learned a bit about recording, but it was just, just when the Atari ST had come out and I, I was shown how MIDI worked and it just blew my mind. And I went and bought, you know, saved up and bought one. And that, then I became a freelance uh, Pro 24 operator with absolutely no idea how to operate any of the stuff at all. And I, as I, I think I've said before, I do apologise to some of my first sessions. Uh, <laughs> namely, uh, it was somebody on ZTT who was a fr- Anne Pigal. That oh, was it's best oh. if you just leave it, Nick. Uh, no, I want to apologise out there because I really, yeah, I got found out on that one. Big time, and uh, that, but then I, I kind of learned my craft a bit more. Or, the, or software got better, and what have you. But uh, I mean, without MIDI, there would be no, no. I mean, this show works on MIDI. You know, every time I switch a camera, I do this. This is basically MIDI events going to an interpreter, which is then switching. You know, all of this stuff is 
is MIDI triggers. I'm using a MIDI controller to do all of this stuff. And again, you know, over here, when, when we get some lighting sorted out, that will all be DMX, which is a kind of a, a derivative of MIDI, you know. So MIDI runs kind of everything. And one of the things that came out of the whole um, concept of this, uh, of this tour, which is really, it's an hour and a half. I mean, it's long. I mean, you do need to be interested in kind of, you know, this world to probably get some some entertainment out of it. But these guys, I mean, that. You know, a brilliant kudos to uh, Chris and Will for putting this together because we're never, we're probably never going to see these guys together on a panel again. You know, Tom's getting on a bit. They're all kind of, you know, getting, uh, Jordan and obviously Dave are not, and Craig's not, but, you know, it's unlikely that we'll all see them together. And that is uh, just the insight, <laughs> the insight into what they, uh, what it meant to them and how it worked. I mean, let's not also forget that it gave us synchronization. I mean, yes, we had SimTSync for running machines together. But when we got song position pointer and stuff that allowed us to rewind the tape a bit and then carry on with running, that was what changed. Because we could all sequence MIDI, but then trying to yeah. sync it up, that made an absolutely huge difference. It meant that people oh, could work to picture. I mean, that, that's a huge it, leap it, forward. It, it just changed the whole working thing in the studio as well, because it meant instead of having to roll all the way to the top of the tape and start again, you could just you could make changes and just drop things in. And that was just... It just you know, to Spend have to things. run a whole part of a song just to put a kick drum down, and then if something goes wrong and you want go to back change to the beginning, part yeah. of that kick drum, and you can just be able to go to that section and drop in, that was an absolute revelation because it speeded things up so much. Must have been terrible if you're on an hourly rate. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the smart ones always. Were, I, I used to work on an hourly rate, that's for sure. But uh, <laughs> I didn't. Know. We only it takes use a, FSK. Really, yeah, I'm sorry, I can't use song position points. I, I thought one of the. In, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we yeah, just wasn't don't there believe a story about one of the big London studios <laughs> that they did something to the <laughs> tape transport mechanism and slowed it right down? And Brian Eno got very cross about it. Apparently. Oh, what? So that it wouldn't work so fast? So they had... no, no. So, yeah. So that when they were rewinding the two-inch reels, they were just taking longer to rewind. <laughs> oh, they slowed the motors down. And Brian Eno worked out that this machine was rewinding slower. This is a story. I don't know if this is true. I mean, it's a great story. Let's hear it. <laughs> and he got very upset about this, and and. Uh, wouldn't pay for the studio or something and insisted that they speed up their transport mechanism. Oh, if that was me, I'd have said to him, I'm sorry, Brian, it's about the journey, not the destination. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, I mean, there are so many, I mean, uh, that, you know, the, 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 the kind of, um, uh, the, the nostalgic parts aside, I mean, the, the interesting thing is also now where it's going to go from here. I mean, we did talk about this briefly, but I mean, one thing that uh, uh, Alan Parsons said he wanted male and female connectors because he couldn't figure out what was in and out on the back of stuff, which I thought was... That's a very... It's a good idea, but it's... Point, it, yeah. But, but, I mean, in terms of what... You've you got to buy... Well, no, you don't have to buy two cables. I guess you have a male and a female end on each cable. Um, but at, at that time, it would have impacted on the cost, and the cost was one of the primary reasons that uh, those first five manufacturers went for MIDI and used it as a standard because it didn't impact heavily on their uh, yeah. unit cost of the, the exactly. items that they were and, and this is the thing now. I mean, when they're talking about the idea of like where, you know, the audience were saying it went, went, went to the floor and like what's happening. And 
poor Tom, you know, basically didn't really have any news, did he? Because he's got to juggle now. Because everyone wants to dominate the world, it seems. It's like they want the standard. They want to be the Sony. They want to be the, you know, the, the VHS, rather than make this cooperative kind of format. For the bigger... So it's much, much more difficult for, for, for this to ever happen again. Although the other thing that was said was, you know, Jordan was saying, but there is a will, you know, because everybody's getting to this situation like, why can't I do this? I need to be able to do this. What, what can we do? And so there's, there's, maybe there is a, the potential for that to happen. It's funny because it's the, almost the first thing we said after being particularly scathing of a couple of things. The first thing we said is what is the chance of actually getting everybody around the table nowadays? Yes, the, poli- the political will at that time, uh, th- they managed to get everybody in the same room and the, the core or the key players at, uh, at the time who probably mm-hmm. in hardware manufacture remain the key players now, that, that would be the reason for a change. But please, can we do the same for plug-in standards? Yeah, but we it, just, yeah. well, no, I totally agree. But I mean, I think there's, two, as they say now, the industry's so much bigger. There's more people to please. Everybody thinks that their widget is is better or whatever it may be. You know, whereas then there were there was less there was less of it around. You know, there was only a couple of egos there. I to, think in in some ways as well, when you look at a new industry, there is initially a spirit of cooperation between what's technically you know rival companies there is this because i think particularly in music because it's so emotive people believe that there is the potential of a new way of doing business that is probably less brutal than kind of mainstream business and i think in the early stages there is this spirit of cooperation however sadly business always outs so yeah. it gets to a point where the industry matures and then people just go, actually, no, I'm going over into my corner and I'm not going to talk to him because he's a dick and I'm not going to talk to them because they're going to steal my idea and everything becomes very kind of... And, and you tend to see this, you see it in the early days of synthesis, which is why we love... That's me getting arrested from my point of view. <laughs> That's but, Nick's wife. <laughs> which is why we love the early days, this whole pioneering spirit. I think for us that's as important as, anything, as, as the audio in some ways, which is why th- this video was actually brilliant from our perspective because, like you said, you know, we got the chance to hear from people who were there at the time, musicians, engineers, yeah. people who were very influential in it, and there was that spirit of cooperation. Yeah, I would, uh, I would, I would tend to agree with that. I mean, and I think it's because of the, the there's so much inve- vested interest. You know, you, you're not necessarily going to please the shareholders by giving away any fam- uh, family jewels or you know company secrets no, to to, to think, create a standard, and it, that's the reality. Of you it. know, people, people like Bob was a Bob Moog was a fantastic engineer, and and by his own admission, he said, you know, I, I was a not a brilliant businessman, but right. that's not the passion. But you know, this idea of kind of sharing. So we're in a different world now. But yeah, sorry, Mark. I was going to say you only have to go onto Apple dot com and compare the specs of the iPad to see how these standard things just basically don't work and don't get adopted. Because if you look at the different kinds of uh, radio signal that an iPad can connect to in terms of like connectivity to the GSM networks there's about 20 different kinds of um, of like 900 megahertz 1800 megahertz 1200 megahertz this swinging on that and blah 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 and there's you know if, if your phone provider the person providing basic phone services can't agree on 
the signal that they're going to have their mobile phone carrier network on, then how the hell are we ever going to get anybody to agree on something which people, you know, and that's a massive industry, massive, massive, massive industry, and they can't agree. So how are we going to get people to agree on stuff in a smaller industry? It just, you know. Yeah, I think I think perhaps, um, you know, we should refer people to the to the to the talk i i sense the chat room are running restless they're starting to post gags in fact this is a very good one um what was it there's the uh, let's see uh ht um local was it local local police hunting uh let's see local police hunting knitting neil nutter who stabbed six people in the village in the last 40 hours to believe the attacker could be following some kind of pattern oh. anyway that's uh <laughs> we will uh we will we, we'll move on from there but um yeah, Copperland, that's another thing that could, that could maybe move uh, in the right direction. And I think one th- I did, I, th- I think I mentioned it last week, uh, I spoke to the people at Copperland, didn't get a chance to go back and actually film anything, but they're, they're talking to, I think, Bridgeco, who are going to be putting Copperland functionality into their USB chips, which means everybody will have that potential for it to work in, a, uh, in devices from sort of here onwards, if, if, uh, if that all works out well. So that means that's going to be something that will work. See, the, the clever thing to do would be to invent a new protocol and then to sell a small adapter which plugs into a MIDI port, which is about the size of a five-pin DIN plug and has the MIDI adapter on one end, so you can plug it into MIDI and then you can plug the new thing into the other end of it. it needs, and it needs to be something that you can put in your pocket. So I can go to the studio with my new rig, which has whatever we're going what to call it? it. Thunder MIDI. Thunder MIDI, yeah. And I just got like these little adapters and if I want to connect to old MIDI gear I can just plug up and connect up. And it should be optical as well so that we can get round that whole um you know, the isolation thing. It could be on like similar to ADAT. Yeah, that's not bad. I mean, I wonder if ADAT ports, the ADAT transport or optical could be used for sending out. It would make sense, wouldn't it? I don't know. An interesting point. Must be. Must be. Poly aftertouch, that was the other thing that was really mega. I've watched... How are we technically quite sad? Because I did actually watch the entire hour and a half of this. <laughs> Me, too. <laughs> yeah, Me too. I mean, it was really riveting. The whole poly aftertouch discussion. There was so much that came out of this. That well, was that really was something good. that was it's interesting. The, yeah, the that, big neglected area, poly aftertouch. Well, poly aftertouch would seem to be an implementation within MIDI that could actually open up a lot more expressivity and be and be used in a load uh, a load of uh, stuff. Um, okay, I think uh, Rich is going to have to leave us. Uh, he's uh, Something's come up. So, Rich, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, guys. And Great thank you very you. much for being with us whenever you can. We very much appreciate it. So, thank you, Rich. Um, and we soon. will speak to you again soon, I, I hope. Yep, me too. Take Bye-bye. care. Cheers, Rich. Uh, so, Rich has gone. That's uh, one down, four to go. We're just saying everything you said. We are. That's quite weird. Yeah, it's like the... the the G Media twin, the G Force twins. Yeah, there we go. Look, they even look. No, they don't. No, we've <laughs> often been likened to Penn and Teller. I'm the one who talks. Ah, right. This is going to be interesting. Right. Okay. Uh, so that yes, I'm gonna, that, that's, ah, that's that's going to challenge my uh, my Skype. So it doesn't matter. Um, so the, the the next thing was the uh, album releases an event just purely because there is a new Depeche Mode uh, single, um, which I'll, uh, I'll I'll play a bit of just because I can. Does that go? Yeah, that's it. This is a new single from Depeche Mode, uh, ahead of the release of their new studio album. Oh, in fact, if I switch to it, then you'll be watching it rather than me, which would make more sense. Let's get rid of the Google ad, and I'll talk over it because um, they'll probably 
blacklist me. This is called Heaven. Um, it's classic. Dave Garland in a church on a mic with a bit of dolly tracking around him. Looking very well for a man who's died, wouldn't you say? I thought. <laughs> anyway, I won't play any more because they'll bust me. But this is ahead of the new album. This is called Heaven, and it's ahead of the new album. Uh... uh what's it called delta machine which has been mixed by flood so there's still a bit of flood action and uh produced by ben hillier but really i mean it's pretty, you know i just i'm just using that as an illustration they've got a new album coming out march the 26th and they actually seem to be working very effectively towards this kind of concept of album launch as a big event which is I, I, when i saw that i just thought oh you know what i don't think i've noticed one of those for a long time it feels like there's not very many kind of uh album as event kind of you know something that one one looks forward to they don't see that very often these days and it's it's kind of quite refreshing in a way it's sort of almost almost unusual um I, I, whatever you think of depeche mode i think are great i've had great moments certainly um uh, i don't know what the rest of this album's like apparently this track is not at all um kind of uh, typical of what the music's like it's kind of very guitar-y and electronica blended together but um I know, Mark, let's go to you first, because you've got a big album release coming up. See how I did that? That was smooth, wasn't it? Yeah. And how, you know, do you feel that there's actually, it's like an event that's going to, that's going to be happening? Because you're working with, you know, kind of, I suppose, we, you know, you could say old school artists who have, who would release, make an album release as a big event rather than kind of individual singles and then just have a kind of continual stream of, pro, uh, of promo and what have you. Does, do, I'm gonna, they are building it up as an event, so yes. Um, I mean, it just yeah, it's a very, there's definitely seems to be two ways of doing it, don't there? Not, I don't know. I'm not sure what I'm answering. At the moment. I don't know either. I just thought I'd throw something. It's a sort of almost a question, but and almost a trigger for discussion or not. In my case, I don't know. Uh, perhaps, perhaps I'm, I'm perhaps being a little bit too black and white about it. Perhaps it does happen a lot, but I'm just not seeing it so much because the the media outlets that I focus on don't tend to, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't know whether the new David Guetta album is is coming along because I just it's not the world I'm I'm kind of working in. I don't know. I mean, it used to be every week in NME there used to be a list of everything that was coming out and. Uh, you know, people used to make a big deal about it, and I, I'm, I went to loads of events actually, album launches and single launches, and go along, invite all the press, drink far too much beer, drive home, get done for drink driving on the way, <laughs> wake up in a police cell, you know, all that stuff. That right. Seem to oh, yeah, that so old chestnut. <laughs> I tend to find myself waking up and wishing for Profit 12. Ah, oh, bless you. Well, there used to be, there did used to be listening parties, didn't they? And that used to be one of the things you kind of take all the journalists to some posh studio where you could turn up the Uries till the uh, oh, God, till the what those... till the lights went off in them and uh, and deafen them all, and everybody would go away going, "God, that was that was whatever it was." But and they broadcast all... those on YouTube now. I'm sure there was an art. I'm not. There was a female American artist. It was like, yeah, me and all my homies, we're getting all down, and I brought all these people in. And then she's sitting there, and she was, like, playing her album and rocking out to it and, you know, put the whole thing on YouTube. And I thought that was a little bit boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could go too far. Perhaps it's not... Uh, perhaps it's I don't not. want to see her reaction to her record, actually. I just want to know... I mean, I'll listen to her record and make my own judgment. I'd about much it, rather have them. Really weird and kind of twisted about 
doing that. That's very, yeah. Uh, uh, I, I quite like the idea of maybe having a mic on all the sort of uh, naughty boys at the back of the studio going, God, this is rubbish. You know, bloody hell. What's that? Some, Scott, you know, big, big yeah, <laughs> whatever. That would be more fun, actually. Don't worry. Those tapes will surface at some point. Yeah, I'm yes. sure they will. That's, oh, hang on. That's, that's, a, that's what you do when the album launch didn't go so well. You just bring those out so you actually kind of create a media event around the media event. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hope. <laughs> I know, I, I know. I'm quite looking forward to the new Depeche Mode album. Does it does it uh, does it do anything for you, or you, could you care less, Dave? Dave, I, I have to say, it probably yes. I can hardly. No, that's not true because I quite like Depeche Mode. Um, but I hadn't really noticed it. I'm completely obsessed with an album by a band called Everything Everything. In fact, so much so I've bought it for about five people. I've gone, you might like this. Check this out. And unfortunately, I seem to be in a minority of one. Yes. It's just awesome. So it does me, it for you. Yeah, that event. And the whole event, yeah, for me, the, the big event this year, is the, the early part of this year is obviously surrounding Carl's thing with Gaz and whatnot and whatnot. And I was, I'm sort of stupidly excited about things like that. There's, well, that's there's, cool, because there's going to be a big live event. I mean, that's the thing about the uh, Depeche Mode thing. I mean, there's a huge buzz around, you know, this tour they're going to be doing, which is going to last for two years, and they're going to be out on the road. And everyone's going, God, it's, you know, are they going to be able to survive? You know, because obviously that's the sort of the, the, the cauldron of excess that uh, Depeche Mode are famous for, whether they're all going to be sipping Earl Grey tea and kind of which is going the, to bed early. Yeah, which is probably the truth of it, isn't it? We, they'll survive £100 ticket prices. No problem. I'll, okay, make sure. I'll, I'll tell you a couple of stories off blood transfusion. Camera, and it's not about any excess. It's more about wages, which is I'll quite d- something. Okay. Uh, yes. Oh, yes. Somebody time to mention the drug tapes of R.A.P. Reg Presley. Sadly, well, uh, the best, the best ever um, epitaph to Reg I heard the other day was "Badder, badder, badder, dead." Ah, oh. <laughs> rest in peace, Reg. It's oh. actually. It was meant to The Trog Tapes, fantastic though, aren't they? If the, you uh, haven't heard the Trog Tapes, trog tapes look it up. I mean, you, the, yeah, they're all over the place, aren't you? You can get them. The, the Trog Tapes are actually uh, legendary. Um, just sort of behind, there's just tapes of them recording and they're, they're just so totally, um, it's just such a, well, it's, it's, a, it's just is, a cock though, up from start to finish, isn't it? It's brilliant. The they're nearly is, as good as those the, tapes. I worked with the Trogs. I did a remix of Wild Thing with Oliver Reed and the Trogs. And those <laughs> oh, are, legend! He was on that midi panel. <laughs> character, they really are like that. And they all walk around talking like that. Yeah, no, yeah, they're, yeah, they're, yeah, like, they're like the Wurzels. Like his trousers in the pub, and then he was in the swimming pool with a page three model. <laughs> Fantastic. Just up. He's it's a brilliant. Pasty. It's brilliant, isn't it? Um, um, I'm just switching it. Yeah, uh, as uh, Chris mentioned, that uh, Alan Parsons could be, or perhaps is, Oliver Reed's uh, cousin. He does look very... He, is. he, he is. really is. Chris has been to dinner with him. He really I does. I don't know about that. I think no, Alan no, no, he is, Mark. I think he's the bastard child. What? The what child? No, he really is. He really is. is. Alan Parsons is, was... Or is cousin? I'm just going to see if I can find a still that's. Uh, that, oh, look at this! Look, uh, look, look! Here's proof. Love child of Alan Rickman and Tim Curry. There's the proof. It's quite that, a description. That yeah. is, yeah, that is Oliver Reed right there in the middle, isn't it? No, it's true. Yeah. Did what? You had dinner with him, and did you say you looked like Ollie Reed? Because it was all getting a bit untidy. Probably. <laughs> You're behaving <laughs> like Ollie Reed. <laughs> Actually. Anyway, yes, I'll stop the incrimination. Yeah, there. we should probably. Um... But here's something really cool, right? Because within, and, and whilst we're on the self-congratulatory mode, um, 
Within 30 seconds of Alan being on camera, he was pimping his thing. And yet, and yet, two things that we've done were mentioned during that hour and a half. And we weren't there to pimp ourselves, which made me feel... By members of the audience. No, um, made me feel quite good. Yeah, by members of the audience. Excellent. Did you plant them? Oh, damn, we've been caught again. (laughs) Well, uh, I, I didn't catch those, because I know I watched the whole thing, but maybe I was zoning out. Jordan a... Rudess talked about Iris, and ah. uh, a, somebody in the audience said about the imp to and the controller. Ah, actually, that's a good point. Iris won, um, won an award, didn't they? Yeah. What was the award? Uh, EM Award. Ele- electronic Musician? Yep. And Which that's is actually quite Editor's Choice. Editor's, Editor's choice. choice. We got that for the imp years and years ago. That's quite prestigious. Excellent. I, I'd just like to plug our own awards here. Um, I saw those today. They were hastily. Uh, <laughs> well, I say hastily. No, I, I mean hastily. Um, there we go. Sonic State Awards, quick. Before it goes away. There we go. Best in show awards. Sonic State Awards. Oh, no, Is that one you gave to yourself, Nick? No, I didn't give that one to it. That, um, best coverage. So best did, online coverage. Did the recipients actually get anything? Yeah, look, they get a lovingly crafted JPEG. Ah, uh, you should do. So, some guy gave us an award and he oh, sent that, us a couple should, of badges, didn't he? Little pin badges. That uh, should be a bit of in, engraved glass, Nick. Uh, well, uh, yeah, maybe next year. This is, so that's the, uh, the, 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 there's the monosynth. That's the, uh, uh, the monosynth was m- the Moog uh, sub fatty. There's the lovely shot of the Prophet 12 there, Mark. Try and contain yourself. Ooh. Best polysynth. And um, what else do we have? And there seems to be a very great appetite for this because yeah, I, the, I, I yeah, the Casio PX um, Privia got a best keyboard, which I think is totally deserved. And in fact, what was interesting about this is I, you know, I, I put them together, and and I don't kind of consider us to be a particular authority. But as soon as I did it, and I emailed the people, they were like, "Wow, that's amazing!" It, it kind of, it's interesting how uh, the whole dynamics of awards work. Um, and that's the Stephen Slate one, best pro audio, and that this, of course, did best you do best software control surfaces. Uh, we didn't do control surfaces. Oh, no. that, what was the, the little controller with the rocking keys? and oh, Q-Nexus. Q-Nexus. Yeah, oh, we were all gathering oh, over that yesterday. To me, that's a game changer. That's a wonderful... Well, well wonderful. I mean, because it's not, nothing new. I mean, they've done the, um, the, the XY pads on not only the, um, the Cuneo, but also on the... Uh, the foot controller and the 12 tone they do that they've got kind of that so what, what, what's different uh, about that is it just the I like cvio this, i love the cvio it's just fantastic when we saw that there's uh, and the fact that it runs all the different cvs there's an immediate oh we need four of those well that's what that, you know that, what's very interesting because when i was talking to them about it i said well hold on a minute you've got two cv outs and three three channels of cv out and a gate and a cv in and it's only going to be 150 bucks. So that's cheaper than an interface that you could buy. 300 it- bucks is probably the cheapest you're going to find, isn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, you don't need that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's kind of like, yeah, that's great, all that other stuff. But all I want is this, you know, that's the only thing. And the thing that was very interesting, I think I mentioned it before, the MIDI CV. Yeah, everybody says the MIDI CV in the chat room is saying the same thing. Uh, it makes it worth it. Is that... Um, He's figured out how to, but even though it's bus powered, it does full range. And I have no idea how it can do those high notes because obviously that's going to be more than five volts by the time you get to value 128 or whatever. Clever. He's a very clever man. Um, he's not the Messiah. He's a no, very he's not. Clever he, man. He's a very clever man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
Uh, I know we're going over kind of old ground from last week, but I kind of don't think of myself actually here for last week because I, I really don't remember much of it at all. Um, let's see, what else have we got? Oh, yeah, we can stop on As we're on the subject of MIDI, and uh, oh, we've only managed to drop one chat room member in the whole time, so I'm guessing, wow. so I'm guessing we're not, even though there are people telling jokes, hard enough. HT was dead, some fantastic actually. jokes. Um, I, I, I'd like, I might, might bring some of them up. There was, what was the other one? The, uh, uh, oh God, I've, I, I'll have to find, my, here we go. My pet mouse Elvis died yesterday. He was caught in a trap. Oh. That's another one. The HT's on fire. There's another one about uh, baguette. Let me have a look. They're just, I, I'm, I, I know this is kind of really off topic, um, but where's the one? Um, Fully the... after touch, wasn't she in X-ray specs? <laughs> oh, bless her. <laughs> No longer with us. I went to the zoo the other day and saw a baguette in a cage. It was bred in captivity. Oh. Uh, thank you very much. HT's on fire. I, I reckon he's looking him up. He can't be yeah, that pun. Yeah, yeah. He can't be that puntastic. Anyway, I'm, I won't go on, although I do appear to be. Um, to a nightclub with some. Oh, let's see. Uh, I was going. Yes, this is the last one, which I, I think is kind of fun as well. This is something that you passed in. Uh, yeah, here we go. This is this is great. This is absolutely great. So if I can pass that in, switch that on, and then we. This is uh, from YouTube. Uh, this is on uh, Adult Swim. Tim and Eric's awesome nice? show. Dad, can you hear Camptown Races now? Son, you know those MIDI files aren't sorted. Please? Wish you could find a way to organize all your MIDI files by date and name? I'll say. Well, now you can with the Cinco MIDI Organizer Filing System. It hooks up to any T38 SCSI port. First, unlock your hard drive by rotating the Tully toggle. Now load our revolutionary 10-disc floppy software bundle. <laughs> Just sit back and watch the MIDI organizer as it identifies MIDI files, pulls them off your computer, and puts them into the Cinco box. Once in the box, each file is assigned an Umrin, or unique MIDI routing number. Now you can organize your files by name... I have to play all of this because it's so brilliant. What other YouTube video that's so niche would have 187,000 views? Five, one, <laughs> six, three, six, eight. Just goes on seven, just that little bit too long, nine, and then a little bit too six, long. Is it? <laughs> five, one, zero, seven. The Cinco MIDI Organizer Filing System. Order now! That is absolutely awesome. Uh, and funnily enough, um, I never really come across Adult Swim Channel until this year at NAMM, and I was really shocked at how hardcore a lot of US comedies become. You know, really sort of cutting edge. Like, it's kind of like the, the, some of the US, uh, the UK alternative comedy. I'd never seen, and it's really pretty kind of near the near the edge i didn't even know what it was i thought it was because i'd ordered my daughter some swimming goggles from america <laughs> that's why it was coming up as an advert there you go that's brilliant though that's great that's uh, um that's just like one of those kind of chris morris um tv done in the style of that's just so authentic absolutely genius that is um and we can all as we've been talking about the older days of midi and whatever i guess we can kind of um we can kind of relate to that i don't know you enjoy that mark are you um, going to order one? I think they should start selling them. I think you could, you could buy. If it came with a DVD of the advert as well, I think we could we could be onto something. I don't even know what a T thirty eight scuzzy port is. I don't think it really exists. That's the beauty of it. I mean, I'm, but I was, I mean, I was prepared to believe it. Hang on, what is that? Yeah. 
yeah. That's so they've it. just, uh, yeah, I suppose that makes sense if they've invented it. That's brilliant. I love the sound as well. It's just genius, isn't it? I had a job. Yeah. In fact, kind of doing stuff like that, making things like that. <laughs> it was quite a soulless drawing. I remember oh, being... what, making MIDI files or making adverts like that? Well, no, making MIDI files and stuff. No, the MIDI file thing was interesting because that was using alternate controllers. But I remember being put in a room full of um, other, um, I was going to say geeks, but we weren't really geeks. We were kind of... Nerds. Uh, yeah, sound enthusiasts and sound people. Uh, one of whom was, his his actual name was Reek, R-E-E, Havoc. So hello, Reek, if you're out there. But um, And we had to listen to, it was Microsoft did this thing called DLS, which was downloadable sound. So they were about <sighs> this tiny. <laughs> but you were told to kind of make it sound like a Synclavier. So like, like mod, really embedded mod files kind of type thing. Yeah, but slightly worse. And it was just a, an appallingly soul-destroying job to make something this big sound this huge. Oh. It would take, like, weeks. Bottom end's no problem, though, but it's, I'm guessing anything above kind of... It was just, yeah, all of it. was. Uh, there's so many stages to this whole thing. I did this, this thing with, um, for Thomas Dolby. He had a thing called Beatnik, a company called Beatnik. Yeah, and it was, well, he sussed it, didn't he? Yeah. But, it, but his original idea was like he had this little beatnik play and we had to write all these songs and they, I think they couldn't be any longer than 16K or something. And it was, to make, it was to make them sound absolutely awesome because he had this idea that the web, I think the tag phrase was the web is a silent movie, let's sonify it. And actually the truth is let's not. Let's just kind of leave some web pages without any music. It was like... Um, what was that? GeoCities. You know, every site that you went to that was GeoCities, it uh, was just uh, like, uh, it looked like this. <laughs> Actually, I remember that. Um, do you remember um, when QuickTime, you could write, you could put MIDI files into QuickTime and it would play the internal GM voices. So if you yeah. were really, when you were designing websites, you could put um, a qu embed a QuickTime movie that would fire up the GM chip. <laughs> well, Beatnik not... was like a slightly better version of that. Slightly it, by right? a factor of like point zero one five. A slight high-end enhancement. It's funny you should be talking about this because I've got to convert something into a universal format that will work on all computers and will give me samples across an ASCII keyboard. And I've been wrestling with this all week. And Flash. I spent <laughs> I, I spent eight hours yesterday messing around with sound fonts and trying to author sound fonts out of EXS24 sampler files. And oh, Mark, you're, and that's a cracking sound job. Fonts, when I drop them into the Apple DLS music synthesizer, which is one way of playing them in Logic or GarageBand, it doesn't work, and it's driving me insane. It's got to be, the header's probably at the wrong end of the file. That's what happens with uh, certain types of MP4s. I've got some great advice. Oh. Good luck with that. I need, I need a piece of software that does everything for me. I want to take 60 samples, drag them on an icon, and then take the resulting sound font and just put it somewhere and it plays. Oh, it works. And it has a different sound on each key. That would be perfect. Of course, you could, Is sound font the only standard that works across everything? Well, it will work on the PC, and it will work on the Mac. It will work in GarageBand and the DLS player. It will work in Reaper and the DLS player. It will work in Logic, um, and it will work in uh, Reaper on the PC. I can use the Cakewalk sound font player as a VST instrument, so it will work in VST. I mean, if anybody, if you can think of anything else. Um, DSP uh, Quattro Batch Convert, Mechanic says in the chat room. 
Oh, that will do that, will it? I, well, I don't know. That's, there is a question mark. Yeah, we it do. is pretty crop toast great. I don't it's know whether it works with sound. Because of contact. Yeah, I suppose I could work in contact. But can I save to sound fonts from contact, or do I where, end up stuck in contact format? Well, where does it have to be? What does it? Does it have to be played from within doors, or does it have to be just played in the browser? What's the kind of brief? I want the. Uh, well, I want people. Well, if I could find a way of just putting samples in a browser, so people could go to a web page and just like click on keys, that would be good. Flash. Mm-hmm. Uh, flash. Flash. Uh, a flash application in a browser. That's that. That's that's going to get hit most of your target. It's going to work in Linux. It's going to work in Mac OS, and it's going to work. Well, it won't work in iOS, obviously, but it'll work in um, Windows. Okay, but there are a lot of this is beyond my ability. Um, okay. Or not beyond my ability. I just need a bloody good tutorial if if I'm. Well, I mean, the jab, the, the flash authoring environment is quid so it's not a free thing it's an expensive thing or html5 there's probably a way to do it in html5 okay well maybe i could do that i mean it's so that people can remix some things and that they've got not just stems so that they're remixing from the stems but so they've got the original sample set on keys and they can play around with it and they don't necessarily have well, to the um, MIDI keyboard and stuff. What's that Google, um, the Google Play thing, isn't it? The music engine that we probably haven't oh, looked. Yeah. Uh, what's it, Google? Um, uh, oh, I don't know. I've been looking at Audio Tool. Audio Tool's really cool, but music again, player. it doesn't really have a sampler in it as such. You I, need the Synco MIDI file <laughs> organizer. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. I'm trying to find out what there is. What's that music player on Google? Google Play. Is that what it is? I think it is. That's got to be done in uh, uh, Google Play. Here we go. I'll see if I can find it here. We, I'm sure we've looked at this before. Oh, no, that's not it. That's, um, that's the Play Store. Uh, it's I not, sort of think I need called? to make two Please versions don't advertise of it. Google. Version. I don't mind if I've got something where I can hit an ASCII key and it plays an MP3, actually. Google. Uh, I'm just trying to find that music. Um, oh, God, instrument. It's, and that's, that's got to be HTML5. What about that uh, Microsoft invention? So Kosh well, Dukai in the year. chat room saying HTML5 to Flash triggering samples is dead easy. So if you've got a URL of a tutorial, send it to me so I can read it and work out and, and find out how to do it, please, because that would be brilliant. Listen, I realise this is perhaps not scintillating content for uh, the wider audience, but um, um, HTML5 video play. Uh, uh, yeah, well, uh, there we go. Answers on a postcard. Um, Yes, please. And I'm We're sure it could be feasible. Right. Uh, gosh, it's half past five. That must mean it's probably time for us to um, drink, drink finish, finish what we started. I want to say thank you ever so much to everybody. Thanks to all the people in the chat room. Thanks to all our guests. Thanks to Rich Hill. Thanks to all the podcast guests, past, present, and uh, future. Um, we really much appreciate it. It's kind of what makes it work, really, because it would be fairly dull watching me sit here chat and i wouldn't have anything to switch between which would make it fairly boring for me as well um but i want to say thanks thanks and thanks again so um, there's everybody in the chat room remember um if you want to join the chat room forward slash live chat room awesome um and some of those guys have probably been listening since the beginning as well um so thank you very much to you guys as well and i'm glad that uh, you've been able to yeah, stick with us definitely deserve fail muso gets it yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Thank you. And uh, obviously, thank you to Rich, um, although he's had to shoot off early. It was great to have him aboard. And there's various other people. We're hopefully going to get a few more people um, as well. So there'll be more. And uh, and also, thanks very much to Gaz. I know Gaz has got commitments now, so he's kind of a little bit uh, uh, busy. But it's great that he has uh, got such a fabulous gig. But we will see him again. I think he's coming to me on Friday. Um, we're going to try and do a Sonic Touch thing um, too. Uh, so let's say um, thank you very much to Mr. Mark Tinley over there um, under the love sign where you belong you're yeah, very welcome that's a great that's a great poster frame right there thank you very much Mark for joining <laughs> us um, and we'll see you again very soon I hope uh, likebeing.com is where you can listen to my things on audio boo as well I've got a bit carried away with the sound art this week and made some very very strange things <laughs> oh cool uh, so my audio boo account this particular week is actually quite good fun it's got some well, weirdness, tinly weirdness going on. Great. Have you got a URL you can post in? I can stick it in to before the I show finishes. Audio boo um, backslash Mark Tywarton. Audio boo.com slash Mark underscore Tywarton, maybe. Okay, that's probably. <laughs> well, we'll see if it works, and if it doesn't, then never mind. But oh, there it goes. I'll find out what it is and I'll tell you. There we go. I'll put that there. That might work. It might not. Who knows? And coming back into uh, the... <laughs> into, you can tell the champagne is beginning. This My glass hasn't been empty. This is all I've had. Look, I've had this much. <laughs> Chris hasn't been wandering around filling up. No, we're on to our second bottle. And, uh, the, you know, bizarrely enough, what tends to happen is uh, just because, like, occasionally I have a couple of glasses of champagne on a show... They just think I'm drunk all the time. At, the, at any p- possible available <laughs> opportunity, I'll just drink like a fish and just be legless. It's not true at all, uh, I'd just like to say. This man, however... No, no, no. <laughs> Dave no. Spears is... He's the one. Yes, he's perfectly. he's the bad influence. Anyway, thank you, Dave Spears. Been with us for pretty much, I'd say, probably That's at least 290 amazing. of the of the... Of the 300. Nowhere else will have me. <laughs> no, thank you, Nick. And thank you, everyone in the chat room. I, for the levity, if nothing else, because sometimes I've said a few things and thought, oh, I'm going to get into so much trouble. And then I get an email from people saying, actually, that's exactly what I was thinking. So, yeah, no, thank you. And thanks, Nick. It's, I look forward to this, actually, every week. It's yeah, it's, uh, the thing about it is it's, it's an opportunity to talk this stuff to other living people. Yeah, because if I do it to my wife, <laughs> by the time I finish, she's just asleep. Yeah, exactly. And um, Chris, thank you very much for joining us and being being with us on the uh, on the show. I know um, we had to talk, but you, you've, as ever, contributed brilliantly. <laughs> thank you for harassing me. Every, it's brilliant. Every time I put Chris's camera on, he goes red. Do I? <laughs> I thought this is my default state. No, I, and I'm one to talk about going red. Um, anyway, Chris, thank you also very much for joining us. I'm afraid Thanks I didn't get me. your lower thirds together, but if you go to g4software.com, just you put can Dave's see. up. Yeah, I'll put Dave's up and just substitute the. Just put Dave's ward. Chris, there we go. <laughs> ward. <laughs> oh, don't! I'll tell you what. I'm, I'm speaking the real controller of the company up. Speaking speaking of wards, I've 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 spent. Rob, um, who was the, one of the behind-the-scenes guy um, who came along and, and did such good work at NAM, he gave me some episodes of Game of Thrones to watch on the plane. 
which is like a car. I don't know if you've George R. R. Martin wrote this sort of load of books. He's still waiting for the last one. And I read them all like a couple of years ago and was really into it. And then I thought, oh, the series is going to be rubbish. It's going to be all kind of like, and it's not, it's absolutely brilliant. I I can't stop listening to it. And it's just, and I noticed last night, this is completely, and now I am rambling and going way over time. um, Is, there's no there, though there is music in it. The music is so absent. It's not like because a lot of times with a big, a specifically sort of big American blockbuster types television or feature films, there's music under everything, and it's just underscore all the time. Whereas this, it's it's used like old fashioned kind of properly made movies, where it's like now this needs a bit of extra emotion and, and emotive, and it and they do that brilliantly. I don't know who does the music, um, but it is directed by someone called David Nutter, which I think is just <laughs> it's just awesome. <laughs> uh, if you get the chance, um, check out Game of Thrones. I mean, uh, you may. I mean, if you don't dig that kind of fantasy thing, it's not it's not like wizard, Wizards and Warlocks kind of at all. It's like a sort of fantasy historical kind of medieval battles and what have you. But uh, and it sounds like I'm very sad for liking that. But it's a really compelling yarn, actually. Really, really. And all the what's great about it is all the best characters just get killed so you just have to get over it and then get on with the next ones and it you know there's no shying away from difficult editorial decisions unlike on sonic state um so thanks that's it that's the end of the show i'm going to press the stop button on the recording right now there we go and uh, i can stop we're going to go